Hi, I'm Mari Frank, host of Privacy Piracy, and I'd like to give you this public service announcement about the Privacy Rights Clearinghouse. Do you have a question about protecting your privacy, or do you wonder how you can fight identity theft and other privacy invasions? Each year, the Privacy Rights Clearinghouse helps thousands of consumers who have complaints or questions about a wide variety of privacy topics. The Clearinghouse offers assistance through its consumer hotline and its extensive website. That website is rich with tips and problem-solving advice. The website is privacyrights.org. Thanks. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. Good evening. You're listening to KUCI at 88.9 FM in Irvine and online at KUCI.org. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's a local attorney and certified information privacy professional and the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity and From Victim to Victor, a step-by-step guide for ending the nightmare of identity theft. She sits as an advisor to the State of California Office of Privacy Protection, and she's a sheriff reserve here in Orange County. She's testified many times in Congress and the California Legislature on privacy and identity theft issues. And you may have seen her on TV, uh, Dateline, 48 Hours, CNN, NBC, ABC News, O'Reilly Factor, Geraldo, Montel, and a lot of other shows. Last year, she presented her own 90-minute PBS television special called Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash Privacy Piracy. Good evening, Mari. Good evening, Lloyd. I'm really thrilled tonight because I had gotten an email several weeks ago from a gentleman a gentleman named Tom Coughlin, who is an engineer and technology expert. And he contacted me about an upcoming data protection summit right here in California, right here in Orange County, California, as a matter of fact, in Irvine. And I was so impressed with him that I invited him to be on our show and talk a little bit about the Data Protection Summit and really what he can tell us about uh, being a a techie and and help us lay people and those who know a little bit more about uh, all of the problems that we have with privacy and technology in the information age. So let me tell you a little bit about Tom. He's the founder and president of Coughlin Associates and chairman of the 2007 Data Protection Summit here in Irvine. Tom has over 25 years of experience in the data storage industry, working as an engineer and high-level technical and corporate executive. For several years, he's been collaborating with the Center for Magnetic Recording Research at the University of California down in San Diego on the sanitation of disk drive data. (laughs) That's a little hard to say. In addition to regular technical and marketing um, consulting projects, he is the publisher of several reports covering technology and applications for digital storage devices and systems. He has six patents, wow, on magnetic recording and related technologies. He's going to have to tell us about those. And he's the founder and organizer of the annual Storage Visions Conference, which celebrated its sixth year right here this year in 2007. So we're going to. Tom has a ton of uh, certifications and memberships that I won't go into, but you can find out a lot more about him at 
TomCoughlin.com. I'm thrilled because I'm going to be presenting at this Data Protection Summit on March 15th, and he's going to tell us a lot about it. So I know you've been working very hard, Tom, on this Data Protection Summit, haven't you? Indeed. Thank you, Mari. Okay. So tell us, what is it and what's it all about, and why should people here right here in Irvine should be going to it? Sure. Well, let me uh, uh, give you a little background and tell you about the conference. Um, First of all, the protection of digital assets has emerged as one of the greatest drivers of technology spending in the last few years. And whether that, that content is financial, medical, or commercial, there's new regulations regarding retention and access to this content that requires greater amounts of digital storage, as well as better control of privacy and better management of backup, versioning, and archiving. And those rules govern both the retention of data and, on the flip side, and you don't hear so much about this, when it is okay to destroy data. Right. And, of course, we've heard about all the security breaches, too. Oh, absolutely. In fact, I think there's been some down in your neck of the woods recently, too. Oh, absolutely. All over the place. Yep. And and that retention of data and and sanitization then will be enormous drivers for the growth of storage system software and services. So, um, and I've done some analysis of, uh, you know, how much data is being generated. Here's an interesting figure for you. The worldwide, we probably generate over 10 exabytes of digital data. Exabytes. That's copy. Exabytes. Oh, That's wow. 10 to the 18th bytes. <laughs> oh my gosh. And I think that'll grow at a faster rate with time. Um, and I've got a, a quote here might be interesting. According to the InfoPro survey, this is getting into the enterprise side of that, in October 2006, the average installed capacity in Fortune 1000 organizations jumped from 198 terabytes in early 2005 to 680 terabytes in October 2006. Wow, I can't even imagine how many terabytes, how big that would, how many, how many bits of information that would be. It's oh, it's, it's humongous, and, and it's only going to grow more. And um, and the whole complex, the whole complexion of storage uh, is going to grow a lot. Um, one of the things I've been looking at personally is is the growth of uh, with all of the low cost storage options, with all the consumer devices using storage. Even our personal storage is going to expand enormously. And I think by the next decade, you have more personal than. Uh, contemporary uh, uh, commercial storage available because there's more people than there are companies. Right, right. So it's there, there's huge growth in the demand of original content, in other words, and that's going to demand drive demand for protection and retention of that content, including personal, you know, that personal content. Exactly. So the Data Protection Summit will bring together vendors and users to discuss their solutions and experiences in this complicated and critical field. And, you know, I'd like to say that attending this puts you one step ahead in preserving your company's reputation, keeping your company solvent, and showing your value to your employer. And, you know, we're also sitting here on the campus of the University of California, Irvine, and students may be listening in. And a lot of people, you know, are looking for what kind of career they want to have. And this is going to be a huge emerging field in data protection and privacy and technology, right? Absolutely. Okay, so, so what are some of the topics that are going to be discussed at the Data Protection Summit? Well, some of the, uh, first of all, the conference consists of talks, panel discussions, tutorials, and workshops. Um, and topics include data security, information lifecycle management, encryption of data. Uh, in fact, there's a whole, um, on the 12th, there will be a whole uh, forum on disk encryption. Um, encryption and legal issues, business continuity and disaster recovery. Uh, avoiding costly data losses, uh, storage legal compliance, cost-effective data protection, backup and restore, effective archiving, privacy, data deduplication, 
graphics, content management, hierarchical storage management, snapshots, data sanitization, and general and storage networking. All right. I know my program is going to be on Thursday, the 15th, and I'm going to be talking about what we've learned from these security breaches. And I have some outrageous um, statistics as well. And we've been watching the chronology of security breaches ever since the first one that was made public, which was the, uh, you know, the uh, choice point. And then all the way through, you know, up to date. But the the most recent one was the big IRS one. So we have a lot uh, that we're going to be talking about. Pretty exciting. And I'm going to have door prizes as well, by the way. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. So I'm, I'm thrilled. I think I'm one of the few uh, non-techies there. But I'm going to be talking about the effects of these security breaches. Excellent. And, uh, well, that's very important. But, I, but I'm going to go and learn from all the other techies that are going to be there. <laughs> And you, you're bringing your book, one of your books there. I'm bringing both of them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So could you tell the dates for the privacy, uh, the Data Protection Summit and how people can find out more about it and register? You bet. Mm-hmm. You bet. Um, the summit is going to be March 12th through the 15th, 2007. It's at the Hilton Irvine Orange County Airport. Okay, and that's not very far from where we are right now. Exactly. In Irvine, California, of course. Mm-hmm. And uh, on the 12th, there's going to be a couple of activities going on. One is an Oracle University Day on Oracle Data Protection. And at the same time, we're going to have a disk encryption forum. And I can talk a little bit more about the disk encryption later, if you like. Okay. The Data Protection Conference proper starts on March 13th and goes through March 15th. Okay. And you can get more information about the conference at our website, which is dataprotectionsummit.com. All one word, no spaces. Right, right. Now, where is it always in Irvine, or is it, how many years have you been doing this? Well, the, uh, this this conference has been going on uh, under a different name for a couple of years, and this is an evolution uh, 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 evolution from that original conference, which was the Information Lifecycle Management Conference. I see. And is it held in a different part of California? Or each no, year? I think it's been down there, uh, down in Southern California. Oh, so, good. Okay. So basically a Southern California conference. Well, good, because I never heard about it, so this is great. If it's going to be in Irvine, then we can, you know, talk about it and go to it each year and, and get everybody involved. You'd be great. You'd be welcome to it. You know, the University of California, Irvine, has a, a huge department in, in computer technology and this new Cal IT building. In fact, uh, we had a professor on from Cal IT and uh, talking about data protection, and we're having another one come on who is doing a lot of privacy research. The the one that we had on recently, or uh, Gene Sudik, he um, he actually got a fellowship. He got a uh, what do you call that? He's going to be teaching in Rome. He's going to be teaching oh, wow. data privacy and uh, technology in Rome at mm. a university. So wow. we're pretty excited. We have some great professors here that we're going to be interviewing this year, wow. and uh, and we're thrilled that uh, you're going to be coming down all the way from uh, one of our favorite places at Tascadero. Yes, I, yeah, now, I'm in, I'm in uh, the Bay Area during the weekdays, but that's that's uh, that's where my family is. So. And so you wear a cowboy hat on the weekend? Uh, yep, yep. yep, yep, cowboy yep. hat and overalls. Yeah, we have a friend who has a ranch in Atascadero. When we go up there, we have to wear our cowboy hats and our cowboy boots. Oh, my gosh. It's so much fun. I love it. I love it. Okay. So let's get into some education since you're such a great techie and you can help explain things to us. Let's talk um, about the general uh, data protection questions that that might help us. Mm -hmm. So what are the implications of the greater Internet connectivity on the security of, of, you know, our modern companies? Sure. Well, while greater Internet connectivity is important to increase productivity for knowledge workers, it also places greater responsibility to protect 
personal privacy and other sensitive information, which may then be made available, if you're not careful, on the networks. Right. So controlling the access to or the ability to recover data is crucial to limit the financial exposure of enterprises. So you have to keep the, the people who aren't supposed to get it from getting it. On the other hand, the guys that are supposed to get it have to be able to get it. Right. And, and then, of course, we worry about fishing and farming. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. I'm, I'm on a listserv with the anti-fishing uh, group, and, you know, half the stuff that I get in these emails, I, I really don't even know what they're talking about because they're so high-techy. But I can see how really dangerous it is and how many people get hooked with the uh, the fishing and the farming and, and the, the security, um, the lack of security, I think, is, is making us not really trust the Internet. On one hand, we love the Internet because it is just a, a huge uh, opportunity for research and connecting with other people, and it's fabulous across the world. But on the other hand, it's a very scary, dark place. It's, it's uh, both a source of enormous illumination and, uh, and, uh, and, as you point out, you know, great fear. Right. You know, right. there's so much you can gain, so much you can learn from it, but there also is a lot of danger lurking out there. I know I've, you know, I get a lot of emails, and even with spam filters and stuff, a lot of stuff gets through. And some of these, these things that come in, you know, the first time you see it, you know, you could easily be, you have to look twice to see that it's, uh, that it's not real. Exactly. You know, I, I delete anything that looks like it's from a bank or my credit card company unless it's something that says, hey, you know, um, here's some specials. You know, I'll look at those if, and I will go to the to the website that I know. I'll type in the website that I know. Exactly. Because I'm too scared to even look at anything or anything where I would just, you know, click on a hyperlink in there. I won't even do it. So. If, it's an, if it's just an HTTP hyperlink, especially if it's HTTP. Right. TPS, then at least it's a secure hyperlink. So. Right. The S means secure, right. Exactly. So that's, the, that's one the, thing to look for. But couldn't the bad guys do that, too? Yeah. It, that's not, you know, that's not guaranteed to. It just means that it, it, it uh, that in transport it's, it's protected. It doesn't necessarily mean that somebody may not be misusing it at wherever the source is. Right, right. So what are the latest developments to protect data when it's at rest, you know, on mm -hmm. a financial institution and data in transport? Okay. Kind of explain well, that to there us. There are many new products in the market today uh, to protect data while in transport or while at rest. And the general categories think basically access control technologies, encryption of data during the transport, whether physical transport, you know, actually carrying something around. Well, let's go back. And yeah. again, a lot of the people that are listening, I know this is like second nature to you, but a lot of the people who are listening are business people driving by, university students. And and people who are not techies. So so, what do you really mean by access control? Let's go through each one and tell what it is. Okay. Okay. Uh, the access control would be uh, how do you um, how do you uh, govern the way in which the data is being used? Okay. Okay. And uh, encryption of data, for instance, um, physically encrypting a tape. Right. Okay. Or a hard disk drive. Right. You know, uh, wherever Scrambling. the key is, yeah. you know, is a way that you can prevent somebody fr uh, from easily being able to obtain that information. Now, when we're talking about encryption, yeah. you know, I know, are we talking about 128-bit? Or what? what is the standard right now, really, for encryption if it's used as a best practice? Well, uh, because most of these technologies, they want to be able to export it overseas, 128-bit encryption is, is what people will tend to use okay. versus a higher-level encryption. Okay, so that's considered pretty much the standard? I think so. You know, it's fair to say that, though. You know, you can find examples of higher, 
you know, higher bid encryption. And so, so for businesses, if we're talking to businesses when they want to uh, encrypt either for the data at rest, which it should be encrypted on their on their own hard drives, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or if it's encrypted during transport. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so, so, so a lot of are, are most companies doing this? Uh, not as many as is uh, not it, actually a lot. Some of the technologies. Are, have been difficult to implement, and as a consequence, because of the uh, the costs and the difficulties, um, it, you know, it, they are not as, as as widespread as one might like. But there are some changes in technology that should make that easier. For instance, uh, I mentioned before we're having that that forum on disk drive encryption. So there is new technologies coming out uh, initially for laptop disk drives. The two and a half inch disk drives go into laptops that will allow encryption of the data on the hard disk drive by the hard disk drive, and the key is kept in the hard disk drive. Now, that's, that's going to be important because we've seen, like, what is it, like, I think 30% of all the breaches or more are, are lost laptops. Oh, yeah. Like, I think you mentioned uh, that IRS case before. If I remember right, right, I think that was a lost laptop with uh-huh, a bunch of information uh-huh, on it. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And we've had a lot of those, you know, with health services and a lot that haven't even been, um, that I know about that people report to me that haven't been publicly reported. Mm-hmm. So we've got tons of laptops that that are so how would this work even someone like me would be able to easily encrypt the hard drive of my laptop if a right i mean yeah, yeah there, there's a, there's a couple different things can be done um the hard disk drive uh contains the data encrypted and then you would need uh to know the password to even get access to it okay um you can also uh make a storage device like a hard disk drive, so it's locked to the device it's used, and if it's ever taken out, uh, then it you couldn't access the data. Okay, so in other words, if I am the owner of this laptop and I have a device that I use, th- then I also enter a password with this device, like I have two things, like I have the hand, the thing in my hand, and I've also got the thing in my head. Mm-hmm. Um, and and if, if both of those aren't there, there's absolutely no way to no encrypt. No way you can get at it. And, it's, okay. and since it's all built into the hard disk drive, it's all it'd be. It's extremely. It's hard to even consider how you how you act how you break that code. Okay. The other thing is, since the key is kept in the hard disk drive, that the effective elimination of the data on the hard disk drive is real easy to implement. All you do is get rid of the key. Okay, so I could be remotely getting rid of the keys. Is that what That's you're saying? That's possible, though. Uh, though it's probably there's um, there's functions built into hard disk drives. There's uh, what's called secure erase command. Okay. That the way it's implemented uh, right now basically will erase all the user information on the hard disk drive. It actually will write over all the data, so there's nothing nothing accessible left. Okay. Um, that takes a while, especially if you have a large hard disk drive, because it takes a while to overwrite all the data. Now, how would that be done? Would that would be done remotely, or is that one? D- oh, th- well, this is commands that you should do the hard disk drive. Usually, it's not remotely. Okay. So, what if I didn't? You know, obviously, if I didn't know my my uh, laptop was going to be stolen or lost, right? I I really am kind of stuck right now. If if I have to actually give a command to to destroy everything on it, right? Well, there are there um, there are approaches that if you could try to connect to the internet. Ah. That uh, the laptop will then uh, send an email to the real owner. Uh huh. And therefore allow some way of tracing it. I see. I um, see. You know, and they can't access the data, but in addition, it also would, uh, you know, would be able to say, you know, I'm a stolen laptop. 
this is where I'm at right now. You know, what's what's the uh, the internet address and, right. and so that might aid in trying to recover it. Right, but by that time, all of the data is already acquired by somebody. Well, if, so. it, if it's encrypted, it's not. Oh, right, 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 yeah. right, 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 yeah. right. So that would be. I mean, that's the kind. Of, when? How soon is that going to be that I can get? Those that drives kind? Are, are now starting to appear in the market, and actually, some of this stuff is tied in with uh, the advent of the the Microsoft Vista operating system. So we're seeing right. new approaches to protecting data. And among those new initiatives are the introduction of laptop hard disk drives with the stored data encrypted with key management done on the hard drive. Right. Now, is that going to be user-friendly? Because, you know, I'm thinking about how many people use PGP, pretty good privacy, mm-hmm. for example. And um, I don't know very many people except the, the techies that are using that. Yeah. Well, this, this is basically, this encryption would be built into the hard disk drive. So in your use of the hard, you basically... When you use the hard disk drive, it would it would be almost invisible to you what's going on. Okay, so let's say I want to pull up um, a a sensitive document. Yeah. Um, so then I put in a password and it unencrypts it, but doesn't unencrypt everything. Only that? No, no, no. I think it's it's. I don't believe it's file specific right now. Okay, okay. It's general access control. Okay. So okay. it's like when you boot it up, you. You know, you put in the password to give yourself access. Right, right. But, th- I mean, it makes so much sense that, yeah. you know, it, it makes so much sense that you would obviously want it to be encrypted when you're not using it, when you have it turned off. When it's turned off. It's, yes. Somebody turns it on, if they don't know how to access, if they don't know how to, how to tell it the right thing, there's no way they can get it. Exactly. So if you have your laptop in your trunk and somebody steals your car, or if it's stolen on the, uh, you know, when you're going through an airport, mm-hmm. then uh, you don't really have to worry about the data being accessed. That that would that would be the uh, that would be the result of this. So it's it's so the disk drive guys are are doing this as uh, see this as an important way to create uh, greater value for their products. And so a lot of the disk drive guys have banded together along with people in other uh, related industries, and they formed a group called the Trusted Computing Group. I see. Which, which among the things which it does is this is, uh, has developed standards on uh, uh, this drive in, in-drive encryption. Great. And uh, this year we should see all the major manufacturers of the laptop hard disk drives coming out with products including in-drive data encryption. So a computer like my laptop, for example, that um, I, if I add Vista, the new Windows, mm-hmm. to it, um, that means that if if I add Vista, I will have that capability? Yeah, the dr- disk drive has to be able to support it, too. It, okay, it, so, so it has to be a certain... It's going to be newer hard disk drives that are built for this application. But I, my projection is over the next uh, couple of years, you know, all the laptop drives would move to this. And it may move into other markets as well. All right. Now, will that also be that that same encryption would also apply to the regular PCs? Uh, not at first. All right. Yeah. So what is going, what is new, the newer trend for regular PCs in offices? Uh, regular PCs, um, well, the, eventually you might see things like this in a regular PC too, but the initial foray for this drive encryption is, is in the laptop areas. Right. Exactly. Because that's what's been so much stolen because it's so I mobile. Mean, it's, it's on the road. It's, um, you know, it's easily misplaced and stolen. How about um, Blackberries and the, the USB? Well, that oh. what I'm. Well, right now, uh, a lot of these devices don't have hard disk drives in them, but there are uh, consumer and even some mobile business devices with hard disk drives in them. And that's, I think that's the next evolution um, 
you know, in, in, in uh, drive encryption is for other mobile devices to allow you protection of your data. Well, I think it's so, what's really so scary, Tom, is that we've got all of these mobile devices, whether it's a BlackBerry, a PDA, a cell phone, that that is capable of, you know, con, uh, containing so much sensitive data on us. Mm-hmm. And if that can't be encrypted easily, it won't be. Uh, it's a good point. I think uh, encryption in mobile devices, especially as they start to be used more and more for business applications, will become increasingly important. By the way, um, 1.8-inch hard disk drives, which are uh, used in ultralight notebooks and, say, some of the uh, video personal video players, um, products have been announced with capacities up to 100 gigabytes. Mm. You know, so that's a fair amount of data there. And, it and is. You, and if you've got some business information on there, you know, you know that, that, could be, uh, that could be an issue, that could be an issue uh, business or personal information on it, yeah. then protection of that will be um, important also. And so I see that as the next natural evolution for uh, encrypted disk drives uh, is into some of those consumer and other mobile uh, business applications. Right. I know my my computer, um, I mean, my accountant wanted to have me give my QuickBooks to her on a little USB port. I am. Uh, you know, and um, and I don't know how to encrypt that. Uh, I think there will, there's, uh, there's some products uh, now that are being introduced that have some security features on USB drives. Right. So I feel kind of uncomfortable about doing that because, especially if I'm going to send it to her in the mail, I guess it's easier if I give it to her right in front of me. She downloads it to her computer and then gives it back to me and then deleted. You could, yeah, yeah. Then you could erase it. Yeah. Or she deletes it right after she does that. Yes. Yep. That's probably the safest thing to do. But I don't think people really think about this. Okay, just send me, you know, your your well, little drive here, and, <laughs> and I'll have it. There's a whole other aspect of that, too. And if you don't mind, I'll talk a little bit about that. And yeah. that is, um, it, when you throw away or get rid of something, mm-hmm. um, and you, quote, deleted the files, they're still there. Exactly. And so there's a lot of people that, uh, you know, they get, they're done with a computer or something, they delete, right? Which means they they put it in the in uh, in their delete folder, and then they say delete it. Well, all you do is get rid of the directory listings. All the data is still on the disk drive and can be reconstructed. So, the, what is your suggestion? Well, this is where the subject of data sanitization. Yes. And it's a big issue. Uh, you know, all kinds of enterprises deal with this, and there's various levels. Even there's even federal standards for data sanitization and what you can do depending upon the levels of you know, protection that you need, the, the sensitivity of the information. And they go all the way to people actually physically destroying a hard disk drive. In fact, they'll burn it with acid, they'll, they'll roast it with thermite, they'll break it up into a lot of tiny pieces. You know? Right, right. I've, I've saw that on TV, somebody taking like a hammer and, and breaking apart. <laughs> that's, that's an easy approach. There's a guy in North Carolina I know that has a product that uh, he drives a hydraulic ram through a disk drive. It's, it's really quite satisfying. It's uh, <laughs> The ultimate executive squeeze toy, I think. Now, I did learn to take CDs and put them in my microwave for a second. Uh And as soon as they crack, you know, immediately, my computer consultant showed me how to do that. And he put it in for just a second, and it completely cracks and destroys all the data on the CD. So that anybody can do if you have a microwave. And that that worked. That's interesting. You can shred a lot of the uh, heavier strength shredders can shred CDs, too. 
And and also shredding services. I know I, I've been working with a, a shredding service that shreds, you know, boxes and boxes from the Iron Mountain. And they will take discs and CDs and they will destroy them as well, along with all of the other stuff that you're throwing out with your with your banker boxes. Now, now that's, you know, for, and for CDs and, and paper documents, things like that, you know, it's, it's appropriate. With hard disk drives, you have another option. Especially the um, ATA hard disk drives, the ATA interface hard disk drives that are commonly used in desktop computers, notebook computers, and consumer devices. And tell me what ATA means. Maybe I have it, and I don't know. Oh, it's, well, it's a, it's it's a uh, it's an old terminology. It means advanced. Uh, te- let's see. Uh, You're probably uh, so used to using the acronym that you don't even remember. That's that's correct. It, <laughs> it dates actually back to the uh, to the early uh, PC, uh, early the, the original IBM PCs. I see. And basically, it's it's a, it's a storage interface that's used on uh, lower cost hard disk drives versus what's called SCSI and fiber channel interfaces that are used for the enterprise disk drives. Uh huh. Yeah. AT attaches what AT is what ATA means. Yes. So the PCAT, and this is the attachment for the storage devices. Okay. And but uh, it's it's an interface that's used for the disk drives which most people run into in their lives and their desktop and. You know, as much as they run into it, their desktop, their laptop, our consumer devices. But built into the ATA disk drives are electronics and firmware. And one of the firmware commands that can be done on a hard disk drive allows the disk drive to write over audit, write over all of the information that is contained on the user, the user, the user data. Okay. All right. And that's called secure erase. Okay, secure erase. Now, I know just recently they had here in Orange County, uh, Soka University had a um, had a collection day where you could bring your old computers, your old electronic com- uh, equipment, and then they would uh, you take it. Now, Lloyd, did, did it say that they would destroy the data on it when you? He took a bunch of stuff that he wanted to get rid of, but it, we didn't give computers. But well, did, they weren't p- specific about what they were going to do with it. Okay. <laughs> they just take it off your hands. Right. So that that scares me because sometimes you'll give old computers away and you think you're giving it to a nice charity and somebody who is an unscrupulous employee of that charity could be looking at that information and accessing it and using it for harm. They could be or they could sell them on eBay. There's a there's a number of stories out there of people who bought disk drives from eBay, you know, even for studies, you know. And uh, they've turned up that uh, a, a good number of the disk drives that you can buy in the open market contain accessible data. Yes. But, but the, the secure race command uh, then makes it possible to, fiz- to make that data so that the disk drive by itself will, uh, will write, overwrite all its information, leaving nothing, nothing on it that basically is accessible. Now, the, now the, I usually yeah. have my computer consultant do that for me. So the ordinary user, and, and we've got a lot of university students here that right. might be thinking of getting a new computer and they don't know what to do with it. So what exactly do we do? Can you give us, you know, on the radio exactly how we uh, do this secure erase? Okay, well, uh, I would recommend that this is, um, there's a, a guy uh, at the uh, Center for Magnetic Recording Research at the University of California, San Diego. And his name is Gordon Hughes. He's a professor there. And there's a, uh, a secure race utility that actually can be downloaded. Oh. And depending upon the characteristics of the bias of the computer you have, 
you can then you can then use that to implement one of any one of five um, erasure technologies, all the way from uh, you know the uh, 5220, um, you know, which is an old standard that does triple uh, overwrites on on the data, to the secure race technology. So a whole bunch of different ways of racing it with this utility. So if you did a uh, Google search on uh, uh, secure Gordon Erase, okay. and, Race. and University of California, San Diego, or Gordon Hughes, you'd probably uh, find his website and you'd be able to access the utility there. Now, is that a free? I mean, is that, that no is cost? Free. Okay, so it's free. And there are some companies who are who are making that. It's companies and organizations that are using that have licensed uh, that for commercial purposes too. And and they also are, you know, for those that are interested in that, they're. Uh, the UCSD also allows licensing of that for you know for commercial, commercial commercial uses. So you can use it for personal use, but not for commercial uses. Yeah, right? basically, you know, if you're doing something commercial, you really should uh, should right. talk to them about licensing it. But as is similar to the PGP. Right now, the interesting thing I want to point out though is when you do this in drive encryption, okay. Um, there's another version of the secure race you could do. Okay, if the drive is has an internal encryption, the data can be effectively made unusable. That is, you can turn it into cryptex, which is, you know, you can't get the data out of it very easily by throwing away the encryption key. I see. That's easier. Exactly. So those new laptop drives with that encrypted data, the, the encrypted on the disk drive, by issuing a, probably it would be an enhanced secure erase command on the disk drive, what you would do is almost instantaneously uh, you would eliminate the, uh, the key to the data and all the user data on the drive uh, turned into cryptex. Now, if you're really paranoid... Now, wait a second. Let me, let me again, I'm just such a, a layperson. Cryptex is, is, is encoded data for which you don't know the key. You don't know any way, you don't know how to decode it. I understand what you're yeah. saying, and I just have this question. You said that the key is basically in the hard drive. Is that correct? Correct. So how do you throw away the key if you've lost your – is there a way to throw away the key if you've lost your laptop or it's been stolen? Uh, well, that's uh, – this is if you want to get rid of the drive. Oh, I see. This yeah. is if you have it, but you want to get rid of the drive because you're going to give it away. That's what I'm talking okay, about Okay, right I, I got you. So it, because if you're overwriting all the data on a drive, it could take a long time, especially with large drives. You can buy up to a terabyte hard disk drive now. <laughs> Unbelievable. So, right. you know, it could take a long time to, to overwrite all that data, even if you just do one pass on it. But if you if you use if the drive has this internal encryption, this is why this encryption could could eventually go into all hard disk drives. Oh, it sounds ma- marvelous. Because then you could you could make you could make the drive so you could give it to somebody, and they the, the odds they could uh, they could recover anything from it are almost nil. They'd have to know how to break that 128 bit encryption, hmm. and they have to do it on a drive where all where all of the all of the encrypt technology is built into the drive. It's not accessible from outside. Hmm. And so it's very difficult. And if you were extra paranoid, you could do that, and you had time, you could do that. So now instantaneously you turn all the data into this cryptex, and then you go and do the regular secure race, and now it overwrites it all. Then you can sell it. Then uh, you can sell the, the uh, on eBay. <laughs> you don't have to worry. Um, you know, pretty much guaranteed you couldn't get that data. <laughs> 
That is great. Although it's not going to be great for the terrorists. No. You know, I mean, yeah. you know, for law enforcement right now, I know they that I've dealt with the high tech crime unit here in Orange County, California, and, and they're able to go and ca- recapture the hard drive when mm-hmm. they uh, mm-hmm. when they pick it up. That's and, that's the flip side of it. It works both ways. <laughs> unfortunately, for the good and for the bad. Yes, correct. So. Um, when we're talking about some of these companies and, and the data protection, what I noticed is when you think about a big company and all of the employees who have so many electronic devices with sensitive information, that has got to be an overwhelming problem to protect that data. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, protecting it, one side is protecting it, and keep, but the other side is managing it and keeping it, yes. you know, protecting Protection in the sense of keeping it from intruders is one thing, but the other side of protection is just keeping it for yourself. And and knowing what you have, you know, exactly. the inventory of it. How, you know, do you deal with anything with the inventory of all this data when it's on so many different... I'm thinking of, you know, a big company like GE, General Electric or mm-hmm. something, and they have all, every, all of their employees probably have their laptops and their PDAs and their... Uh, you know, blackberries or whatever else that they have, and they have sensitive data on all these things. How do they, how do they manage that? Um, it's a huge. It can get to be a huge job. Uh, how do they manage that? You know, just in terms of retaining the data. How do they do that so they can meet the new, especially for public companies, the legal compliance requirements and things like that. Let's talk about some of those you current talk, legal. Yeah. yeah, that's really important because I think a lot of people who are driving by you know, are not even aware of the current legal requirements for the data protection. Let's talk a little bit about that. So they vary uh, for various industries, and there's particular laws that cover various industries, but for, you know, public companies, Sarbanes-Oxley is a common uh, requirement. Right. And in general, companies require to keep all the relevant data for their businesses, including email, for a period of seven years. And that's because we've had all this fraud. Exactly. <laughs> it's because of Enron. And, and we have all this fraud, and it's felt that the technology is there that we can avoid the fraud. But according to uh, some, uh, some articles and things that have been out there, more than half of companies are not SOX compliant. Right. And this is primarily due to the complexity and cost of compliance. Despite years of effort, millions of dollars of investment, nearly 61% of companies say they have not yet completed implementation of uh, Sarbanes-Oxley compliance process. And that's according to a study by Oracle Application Users Group, which is doing that uh, uh, an event on uh, March 12th. Uh, oh, as part of your data, prote- yeah, exactly. yeah, data protection summit, I see. And they say at the same time about 64% of those tracking their SOX metrics report that they have already identified deficiencies within their financial ERP database environments related to Sarbanes-Oxley. Amazing. And among organizations with more than 5,000 employees, this is interesting, 80% of the respondents say they require four or more full-time employees to manage database monitoring and compliance reporting. And that translates into a fully loaded operations cost approaching $500,000 per year. So those people who are sitting here who are students on this campus, boy, what a field to get into. There's going to be such a demand for people who know the kinds of things that you know, Tom, you know, about data protection and and data management. It's just outrageous. We're speaking with Tom Coughlin, who is an engineer and technology expert, and uh, he's with Coughlin Associates. He is, going, he is the chairman of the Data Protection Summit that's going to take place here uh, the second week in March. 
2007, and everyone listening would probably want to come to it. And tell us the website again for this summit. The website is uh, is dataprotectionsummit.com. So all run all those words together. Dot com. And, Dataprotectionsummit.com. Tom, and Tom, are you going to be presenting at that as well, or are you going to be running around telling everybody else what to do? I'm running around. I'll, uh, <laughs> I'm going to do something at uh, the beginning of the DISC uh, uh, encryption forum, but uh, I'll probably be running around a bunch. <laughs> right, and, I, and I'm going to be presenting on the 15th, yeah. so uh, I'll be presenting on what we've learned from all these security breaches and what does it mean to us. So, you know, we hope that you'll come and come out and say hello to me and to Tom. Oh, I Great. Yeah, I'd love to see well, you. I know you're going to finally meet me in person. And I'll I'm meet you in person, too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I've seen your picture. That's right. All right. So um, so what else have we he learned about some of these? What are some of the other legal requirements besides we've got the Gramlich bliley we've got, got HIPAA, the, the HIPAA, HIPAA requirements for yeah, the, the health guys. Yeah, this is for the health care uh, data that we're, we're collecting, and, and how do we collect it and share it and transport it. Right, and, and that's and actually, there's been a lot of impact. I mean, there's been enormous economic impacts, not just the direct costs, but if you think about it, and we probably shouldn't go too much in this, it's even impacted the ability of companies to do IPOs, because if you think of it going public, the the require the requir- requirements and the cost of building up the compliance structure to go public are so huge that they actually have inhibited, uh, you know, the uh, uh, companies going public. They're Tending much more now to you know basically merge with another company or something like that rather than go uh, on the open market. You know, on one hand, the technology has opened so many doors and and made our lives so much easier. And on the other hand, all this technology has has created a a morass of of new work and new challenges for everybody. Absolutely, it's amazing. Yeah. So, what sort of storage systems should a company use? As their data ages. Well, that's a good point. This is a place where you can try to be cost-effective, and it directly relates to the cost of some of these compliance. Because what what they're asking uh, in compliance is you keep data for an extremely long time. You know that that may or may not be of direct use to your company, but you still have to keep it in order to meet these com- legal compliance requirements. And as that data ages, it's generally, but not always, accessed and used less frequently less frequently by an enterprise. So for the case of data that becomes older and or less frequently used, the storage devices used to retain it um, don't need the same kind of access speeds because you're not getting at things as often. You don't need it quite as fast. Sure. That are required by more frequently used data. Um, for this reason, this data can generally be moved over time from more expensive low latency, that is fast time to data, storage devices such as SCSI or fiber channel hard disk drives storage systems or even systems using solid-state drives, to the less expensive ATA, remember we talked about that earlier, yes. based storage system. So you can get ATA drives now. They've just been announced uh, up to a terabyte in a single hard disk drive. But my question is this. If you get these ATA drives and they're the older drives, are they easily um, encryptable? Well, they're, uh, I'm talk- uh, it's, the, it's a technology for lower-cost drives. It's not necessarily, you mean if you had lower ATA drives, could you encrypt those? Yes. No, no, it'd have to be built into the drive, and that's only, and right now that's, um, 
that's only on these two and a half inch drives for the mobile market. But eventually, I think it will migrate into other products. Such okay, as- this this is what I I was thinking of. Yeah. I just received an email the other day from a woman who used to work for a very big company twenty years ago, and she got a letter from the company that someone had gotten into her old and she stopped she hasn't worked for the company i think you know like 20 years oh wow and she got an email that some unauthorized person i don't know if it was a hacker or what had gotten all of her sensitive information and it was a security breach notification wow. and one of the things she said to me is why in the hell <laughs> and she said it just like that is this company still got my sensitive information sitting out there unencrypted um on some you know backup drive uh-huh and yep. and, and and so if you're I mean, why should I think the issue is what do you need to keep and what should you destroy? Uh, well, this is again, it, it, it's um, I think it's a, a law of thermodynamics is hard to get organized. And, and the more and the more when you're talking about terabytes and yep. and all these bytes that yep. that I've never even heard of. Mm-hmm. Um, There's more to take care of. It's more to take care of. And I was just laughing about that because I've I just know been what my tra- garage looks like, and it's hard <laughs> to find things. That's what I was just going to say. We've just been cleaning out closets, Uh. and um, I have to say that I think my husband is worse than me, but I wasn't great. But I've been really throwing away, and he keeps wanting to say, oh, well, we can put this in the attic, or we can put this here, or we can Mm -hmm. put this there. And I go, no, let's get rid of it, because just because you have the room doesn't mean you should keep it. And, And the thing is, the storage is getting so cheap that you have room for everything if you want it. And and that I think is a huge danger, and it's, and, it's and a I think the best an opportunity. Yeah, it, yeah, but I mean, why should you be keeping? Uh, when this woman retired twenty years ago, why should she hear that her sensitive data, her social security number, and and other data about her, her mm-hmm. driver's license, et cetera, is has been accessed by an unauthorized? What do they need it for twenty years later? That's a real good question. The the thing is, though, is that some is that uh, unless you have the systems. Uh, and the discipline set up, or it's it's automatic, and that's the real the real challenge is to build systems that automatically say, okay, this data I had to keep it for a certain period of time. Now or beyond that time, it's automatically deleted. Yes, it's automatically deleted, or there's a tickler, exactly, you know, that exactly. says, do you want to delete this? Or that's the answer. The problem is, is that there's so much stuff out there. Is that I think it's difficult for a lot of people. It actually, and a lot of this stuff isn't automated yet. It's on older systems which people don't tend to apply that stuff to, and they may not even realize they still have it. Exactly. They don't even know what they have. They don't know what they have anymore a lot of times. Well, that's why I say the analogy of the garage. (laughs) I know there are things living in there, and I'm not sure I want to go and (laughs) eat them again, you know? I, I went in and I was cleaning out a closet, and I saw pictures of me maybe 20 years ago, I looked so cute. <laughs> I was I'm sure so, you still look cute. No, I was so skinny. I mean, I couldn't believe it. I looked at that and I said, okay, no, I'm on a diet. But, I mean, it's true. You forget about all these things, things that I had in there that I found. I went, wow. And that's the right. opportunity also in storage. Exactly. It's, so, it's an opportunity, but I, I think It's also that, a danger. And yes, and and if you're going to keep sensitive information from 20 years ago that maybe encryption wasn't needed because we didn't have the nanosecond that things could be transferred. And then they weren't connected together so people could access it, you know. Sure. So now that we know and we've got something 20 years ago, at the very least, are we going to even be able to encrypt it, Tom? 
if it's if you what can happen is if you uh, see the other thing on on the on the older equipment, especially twenty years twenty years older. So there's something called format obsolescence. I see. And, so what does that do? Well, what that's referring to is the aging of uh, of storage technology over time. If you have something that's twenty years old, um, even finding replacement parts for it gets hard because they usually don't make them anymore. So the 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 answer to one question is is to is if you're going to keep something over a period of time, and and you want to keep it or not keep it, it may behoove you to have a plan for moving uh, moving your storage from older hardware to to newer hardware, and in the course of doing that then to go look at the content and figure out, okay, what do I need to keep and what do I not need to keep? So it, it would... If it's like did, moving. When you're moving from one house to another, you look and say, do I really need to have this in my new house or should I give it away or exactly. should I destroy moving, it? Moving, moving frequently <laughs> keeps you a lean and... Uh, uh, lean and mobile. I know. I haven't moved in, in what, 14 years? And exactly. I think that's a big problem. I yeah. should be moving more often. you got to move more often, and then you get rid of stuff. <laughs> okay. So <laughs> and, and similarly for, the same you know, thing. for organizations, too. You know, if you actually have to move stuff, buy some new equipment, and move um, storage so you can access it, then, you know, it may be a way to force yourself then to look at the content and say, what do I need to need to keep? What do I not need to keep? And therefore, make some choices, and then. And the we, choices better be good ones. I got to tell you a yes. quick story because Tom, I had a company on the East Coast that um, was a financial services company that they were moving from one office um, on, in. in I don't want to tell you, somewhere in New England, mm -hmm. to another office in New England. And in, they looked through and they said, oh, we don't need these old boxes. And instead of having a shredding surface come, they had a recycling service come. Mm. And the recycling service came and got all this stuff. And then it was stolen by fraudsters and... Mm. All of this payroll information oh, from no. from people from years before, all of them became victims of identity theft. Oh no, that's awful. So so, not only do you have to look at what you're going to throw away, but then you have to decide how are you going to discard it, and are you going to discard it with a, in a secure manner so it is completely destroyed? Because that's required by Graham Leach Bliley as well in that's California right. that law. That would be a compliance breach. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. No, it's uh, man. It's. Um... It's overwhelming. It's overwhelming. And, and, <laughs> and the other side of that, you know, because data protection has different, different. one of it is protecting privacy. The other thing is preserving content, right? Yes. And, and the other side of this is the other flip side of that format obsolescence is that as the stuff gets older, if you have something that's on there that you want, eventually it, become, it could become trapped on it. Even if the data is still there, it's okay, it's not corrupted. If you can't connect to this device anymore, if you have no way of communicating, if you can't put this medium into a drive anymore, it's unaccessible to you. It's lost. Exactly. So, yeah, in fact, there are cases like that where, for instance, um, uh, you know, NASA data from very expensive missions to, to the moon or, or other places, uh, you know, the data basically is on older formats that no one has any devices that can read it anymore. There are specialized equipment, and it doesn't exist anymore. It was thrown away, and there's nothing around that can read this stuff anymore. Hmm. So it, you have to throw it away then. Well, you have to throw it away, but, you know, you've lost something that's irretrievable or very expensive to ever try to recreate. Exactly. And so that's the flip, you know, that's why it's a, 
there's... Um, it's all about data management. It's management, and I think part of the key, and I think this is almost a thermodynamic principle, is the only real way to save stuff or to manage stuff is to keep it moving. <laughs> yes. Well, Lloyd wants me to ask you this question because oh, yeah, yeah. He, he's an inventor, and he said he wants to know all about your six patents on magnetic recording and related technologies. That is exciting. So tell us a little bit about these patents. I will tell you a little bit about that. So there are um, two basic types of patents that I've got out there. One was on an air-bearing technology from uh, a, a while back, let's say that. And an air-bearing is a way of supporting... Uh, a magnetic head over the medium to keep some spacing between it. That was uh, that was my first patent. The now, other h- help me understand. So it, ah. it keeps some spacing. So what do I use it for in real life? Uh, well, <laughs> in magnetic recording, um, for instance, in hard disk drives, the head does not actually touch the disk that it's re- recording and reading information from. I see. It's separated from the disk by an extremely um, it's, it's very, very close, but it's not quite in contact. And there is a layer of air which is carefully suspended, and all the pressures are on the, the part are balanced so that the head will stay above the surface of the disc and not touch it because that disc is spinning very fast. If the head were to touch it, it could damage and destroy data on the disc. Okay. So um, that, the original patent was on a design for an air bearing, which is uh, the profile channels and various things you built onto the surface surface topography of that head in order to control control the flow of air so that you can keep the head above the disc. Wow, that sounds really That was that one. Brilliant. And okay. then and then the other ones relate to uh, magnetic media technology uh, and this is going to be weird uh, but uh, involving uh, uh, magnetic imaging using what are called uh, keeper layers which are soft magnetic layers. Uh, in a, in a uh, magnetic recording disc, they actually—it's interesting because it kind of uh, uh, there's a technology now called perpendicular recording technology that actually uses both the hard magnetic recording layer, which is where the data is stored, and the soft magnetic recording layer. And the soft magnetic recording layer actually creates images of the right head, uh, image fields of the right head field, which help you to write on the media to put the information on the media with perpendicular recording. Um, the technology I, that the other patents were on was uh, the technology before the perpendicular recording is called longitudinal recording, and it was longitudinal recording, but including a longitudinally oriented hard magnetic layer, I'm sorry, and uh, soft magnetic layers for imaging of that, and that showed very interesting effects, uh, increases in the aerial density, the amount of information you could store on the disk. I don't probably don't you don't probably don't want me to go any further into that. <laughs> <laughs> you got it. But Tom, let me ask you something. In in real life, how do we use it? Is it like when we're recording here, like at the studio, or what kind of media are you talking about? Well, it's uh, uh, we're focusing on magnetic. This is uh, some work I did at Ampex actually, and it was uh, uh, it was a magnetic discs. We were focusing on hard magnetic discs, okay. and so it was discs like you'd be using in your computer. Or probably in your editing station for uh, uh, for uh, making your programs and like Ad- uh, Adobe Audition is what I use. Right, but you keep the data on a hard disk drive. I'll bet you. I d- I get it on a hard disk drive, right? Yeah. Yes. And so th- this would be technologies you. But I actually hard- record it. I'm recording you on Adobe Audition, and then. And then you edit it offline. I can audit it. Yeah, yeah. I can. I can. Uh, yeah, I can uh, edit it 
offline or whatever. Yes. Yep. Yes. Okay. So, so, so actually, I'm using that kind of technology without knowing about it. Not, you don't know about it, but um, there's uh, just a brief interlude that it is, this is true not only of magnetic recording technology, but of all the data storage technologies like flash memory. They're all just amazing things. There has been so much advancement and development over the years. The amount of storage capacity that is available to humans nowadays and will be available in the future is enormous. How do you keep up with this? Um, it's the thing I really love, so I, I make a point of doing that. I, and I actually have done projections on the growth of storage and what people are using it for. I think by, like I said, I think at the beginning, by the next decade, there will be more personal content, that is videos, photographs, um, maybe even people recording their lives as they happen, Yes. Um, out there than any other content. So that the the call commercial or or uh, commercial content actually will be the minority compared to personal content because as you digitally enable human beings, they will create more of their own stuff. What with social networking, what with the lowering of the cost of technologies, both to create and distribute content and to share it with other people. Um, that and there's a lot more people than there are enterprises, and so that will drive the enormous growth in personal content. By the next decade, it will overwhelm. I think you'll be able, you may easily see people carrying, and this is again why protection, getting protection technology is important. Carrying terabytes in your pocket, <laughs> having petabytes in your home, yes, and uh, having uh, exabytes in data centers and zettabytes in the world, and each one of those goes up by a factor of a thousand. You know what I'm laughing about? I'm thinking about how I could really use a home organizer, you know, to help me with all my classes. I'm going to need to have a an information organizer, Indeed. someone to help me manage all this organ information. Just like we're talking about, companies can't even do it, and they can they can hire, you know, very expensive IT people. What are we going to do to manage all this? It's just it just is amazing. A lot of it's going to have to be automated. It's going to have to be built in. In fact, I think that not only is the amount of data going to be uh, greater for personal than for commercial content, but it's got to be cost-effective ways of managing that. Um, a lot of stuff's going to have to be built in. It's, it's, there's yes, enormous... because it's, just, it's going to be beyond our control. Yeah, and, it's, going yeah. to be, it's going to be one of the biggest drivers of, of any kind of uh, storage and, other, and general system technology is helping people deal with this content they've got. Tom Lloyd told me that we're just really out of time, but you're going to have to come back because you have so much to teach us. It's wonderful. Oh, thank. You. It's a pleasure. I love talking about this stuff because it's it's it is even with dummies like me. <laughs> oh no no no! This has been a lot of fun. Okay, well we are going to see you very soon at that tech, at the data protection data protection uh, summit? summit in yeah. Irvine. Uh, on the 13th through the 15th, correct? That's correct. And uh, the website, again, if you want to get more information yes. on that, is uh, dataprotectionsummit.com. Okay, so thank you, Tom, and we will talk to you soon. It's been a pleasure, Mari. Okay, you've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. You've been listening to Tom Coughlin, who's an engineer and technology expert, that's for sure. And he's been trying to explain to us non-techies about all sorts of magnetic technology, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, please go to KUCI.org slash privacy piracy and see our previous guests. Listen to the archived interviews with those VIP people. And also uh, download podcasts, subscribe to our podcast, write us an email, and see who our upcoming guests are. Join us here every Wednesday from 5 to 6 p.m. right here on KUCI uh, 88.9 
FM in Irvine. I'm Mari Frank. I'm your host. And Lloyd, thank you so much. He's a great engineer. Good night. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.